Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. The ladies nominated for best performance in a supporting role are Linda Blair for The Exorcist, Candy Clark for American Graffiti, Madeline Kahn for Paper Moon, Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, Sylvia Sidney for Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams. The winner is Tatum O'Neill. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today I am joined by a familiar guest on this podcast, uh, Bill Antoniou. Uh, Bill is the co-host of the podcast Bad Gay Movies, and also he does movie reviews on My Old Addiction. Um, and I read those quite often, actually. You I enjoy do? them very much. Oh, I that's do, so nice. Yes. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for reading. That's very nice of you. Well, of course. Uh, this particular podcast... Uh, I am excited about because I've officially now seen all of Madeline Kahn's nominated performances. Um, and well, it's not that it's not that uh, tough a, an assignment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Just two movies, yeah. just two. And they're not necessarily big parts, but, you know, she had presence. But it was kind of fun watching that. Although personally, my favorite is just her in the movie Clue. Um, but yes. we had discussed doing this episode a while ago mm-hmm. just because yeah. uh, I actually find this one of the most frustrating um, years uh, for supporting uh, Oscar and will totally jump into that. Um, but I do want to say that for this particular year at the Oscars, <laughs> Randy Quaid was nominated for a yep. best supporting actor. <laughs> Randy right. fucking Quaid. The last detail. I have mm-hmm. not seen that movie. Yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's um, it's a Jack Nicholson movie. He's a, he's very good in it. Um, it's not, it's not a movie that I ever particularly loved. It's a real straight guy movie, but it's good. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I know what you mean by the straight guy movie. I think that one of the movies this year, uh, I will be very much discussing, uh, the fact that it is very much a straight guy movie. Um, and although, you know, um, I say that and then like at the last fast and furious movie, my straight guy, best friend was like, calm down. Why are you so excited? I'm like, are you kidding me? We got passes to like the premiere and I was jumping out of my seat. So, you know, what do I know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to each their own, I guess, right? So, um, uh, the okay, so best director went to George Roy Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, best picture went to The Sting, and he was the director of The Sting. Uh, best actor was Jack Le- Jack Lemon for Save the Tiger, which I've never even heard of that movie, so I'm gonna check that uh, it's, out. It's really bad. It's clearly ah. it's clearly created to get him an Oscar. They even held it over for a year because they didn't want him to compete with Marlon Brando in The Godfather. And they delayed oh. it for an extra year. Yeah, um, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of movies made in the '70s of sort of the older generation coming up against counterculture and the younger hippie generation, and that's the worst of all the ones I've seen. Wow. Yeah. Okay, now I really want to see it. Uh- <laughs> you can rent it on Google Play. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, best actress went to Glenda Jackson for Touch of Class, and best supporting actor went to John Houseman for mm-hmm. The Paper Jays. Yeah, which is a movie I absolutely love. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I'm not as familiar with a lot of like 1970s movies just because if I'm being 
completely honest, I'm not really crazy the way that they told stories in the 70s. There are some that I really do enjoy, like The Exorcist, for example, but Mm -hmm. the pacing and the way that they, like the cinematography and that kind of style and I just wasn't Kyle, you always remind me of how awful young people truly are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fair enough. I mean, I love the 60s kind of style of the the 80s but yeah there was something about the 70s style of cinematography that just wasn't my oh, cup I think of tea. I, I mean I think I remember feeling that way at one point you just need to watch more really yeah. yeah well we did watch murder on the orange express i did um the uh ingrid bergman episode not mm-hmm. that long ago so mm-hmm. i did see you know some like 1970s films and um i don't know i do find with a lot of supporting actress nominations it's generally like these small, tiny little five minute parts, like buried in like two, three hour movies, which I find really frustrating. And it really speaks to the type of roles that were available to women, like at this period in time. Um, But uh, there are some really great movies. I actually really enjoy murder on the Orient express, even though it's a lot of fun. I think it speaks a lot to actually the kind of roles that were available to sort of character actresses, particularly older ones. Cause in the Mm -hmm. seventies, you do have a lot of great movies made, about women with women in major lead roles, but mm-hmm. the old ladies were usually relegated to crappy small roles. And actually the ones that there were tons of movies made about middle-aged women, but they were all played by Ellen Burstyn. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I had for that year, it was Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah. And when I watched that movie, mm-hmm. like when I was younger, I found it super boring. And then as I watched it as an adult, it's like the f- funniest movie it is it's so good and jodie foster calling her mom ramada rose never failed i know (laughs) yeah it's so good they're all so good in it too it's when you have that moment where you're like well that really looks like jodie foster and then you're like wait is that jodie foster like no it's not jodie foster and you're like no that's definitely jodie foster and i look up and i'm like that's fucking jodie foster yeah she's not one of those people that grew into her face she was born with the face she's had her whole life oh yeah no for sure even when she was like an infant she literally looked like fucking jodie foster gorgeous though um okay well i mean i don't know let's just sort of jump right into it because this was kind of an interesting year well i'm interested to hear all about this uh stress you have over this year because i can't say that i ever lost sleep over it you seem to be very conflicted about best supporting actress of 1973 i really like the gayest thing that ever happened (laughs) it's it's a gay crisis i was in one um but no i i found i find this year really frustrating and annoying and um i think it mostly just has to do with like the exorcist and like what an impact it had and like the amount of snubs that it kind of got. And we'll jump into that. Mm -hmm. But the first movie that I actually want to talk about is, um, Candy Clark's performance in American graffiti. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) People say that this is one of the greatest movies of all time. And I am going to assume that they are (laughs) old straight white men. This movie was just watching the like 1970s version of dazed and confused while Mm -hmm. all these guys are driving around looking to assault women. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I really hated this movie. I was bored the entire time. Oh, Hate, hate, is a, hate is a, I'm surprised to see you hate it. Um, I have also been told many times that it's the greatest movie ever. It's usually told by people of a particular generation. I find mm-hmm. that this movie really hit people where they lived at the time it came out. 
Um, you know, it's res- it's responsible for like a lot of the '60s retro stuff that happened after. Like Happy Days was a um, a pilot that the network didn't want to go with, and that they yeah. had on on file. And then American Graffiti was a huge hit, and then they released it. You know, and so many movies like it came out after. Um, so I think, I mean, I'm going to guess that a lot of people who told you that are people who are like your family members of a certain age, you know, because for me, I watch it. I think it's really beautifully shot. It's funny. Um, I like a lot of the people in it. And it's it's so like, there's like a sweet nostalgia to it, but it's, it doesn't mean anything to me. You know what I mean? Like it means mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to me. And it's a movie. Mm-hmm. I've watched it like twice in the last year, um, just because last year I watched it for the first time since I was a kid, I wanted to rewatch it. And then I wanted to rewatch it again for this. And, um, you know, it's a movie I can take or leave quite frankly. I'm, I, I just assume something about the people who tell me that they love it. And it's usually that they're a particular generation. I can see that. And I can understand the whole like nostalgic part of it. Mm-hmm. But when you watch this movie, like it does not age well. Like, first of all, there are literally zero people of color in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the way that like, you would romance like a girl there was like under there was like teachers like going like oh you sexy teens i better get out of here before principal harris finds us and it was like oh and then he's like making it with a teenage girl in his car and it just grosses me out because i cannot tell you how much problematic behavior is defended on like i go onto facebook and i see people from my generation like coming forward about something that happened to them. And then like an older generation will be like, Oh, you're just being dramatic. And like, that's not assault. And then there's always this drama and arguments. And I, I watch movies like American graffiti and you're like, Oh, cause that's how you were raised. Like yeah. this type of behavior was like, okay. And it just, it's, I don't know. I really didn't like this movie. And you said that hate is a strong word. And I think that it is completely applicable to that. <laughs> that being said, um, uh, only, only because I'm surprised that you hated it that much. I um, hate it. It's, it's, I, just, it's not a movie that I would ever argue with anyone about. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's fine. You know, like it's, it, it's, um, it, it, it accomplishes a lot considering it takes place only in one night and it keeps the, mm-hmm. it keeps its balls up in the air. You know what I mean? Like it's got, uh, all, it, it keeps all these plates spinning. It's got all these characters and their plights and it's really, really well worked out how they all like, have their beginning, middle, and end. And then, of course, for nostalgia's sake, you have all these actors that you know and love so well at the beginning of their career as well, so you're seeing them young Like Days Confused, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, the the part that doesn't quite work as well for me in this movie is the um, poignancy of it. You know, the I, I've, I've seen better movies about sort of that loss of innocence at the end of high school and then going off to the adult world. In this case... Um, the fact that a lot of them end up in Vietnam in the post-credits uh, uh, scroll there, um, but yeah, I guess a lot of them. I, I think it was just like one well, of them. I mean, I've, was it one of them? I thought it was two or three. I couldn't remember. I, I thought it was like a true story at the end. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I think it was based on his own because it's George Lucas. I think it was based on friends of his from school. Oh. Um, the thing is that uh, there is a sense also at the end of that movie of the fact that they've like reached a they've passed a certain point and they've realized that life isn't all roses. You know, the fact that Richard Dreyfuss um, actually gets in touch with Suzanne Summers, but he doesn't actually make a connection or the right. fact that Ron Howard ends up staying home. Like we kind of don't need that post credits um, description to know where they all ended up. Cause the movie's kind of making it obvious anyway, but 
I don't know. What do I know? Again, it's it's a movie that I'm fine with. However, uh, I mean, if we are going to talk about Candy Clark in this movie, who plays, uh, what's her name? It's like Dolly or something. Dolly. Debbie. 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 Um, I wasn't she, paying that close attention. <laughs> <laughs> she was my That's favorite good. in the movie the first time I saw it, without my even knowing that she was nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, just because, you know, it's not a very big part, but... It, everyone in this movie is doing what young people do best, which is not enjoy being young. They're all being so like serious and you know, what's the future, blah, blah. She's the only one who's just out to have a good time and determined to have a good time to the point that she has the shittiest date with the nerdiest guy in the world and still manages to like see the best in it until she basically has no choice, you know? And she's got that cute dress and that hair and that voice. Yeah. And like, you can't figure her out. There's something so interesting about her because she's, kind of sweet but also kind of crazy and there's so much to her and i think it's just also because candy clark herself as an actress is a bit of an oddball you know and brings such a great energy to that role that i think would have been played much more simply by somebody else so i'm glad that she is um singled out for for the oscar for this uh role even though i didn't think she had a chance in hell of winning but yeah well, okay. I mean, there's so many things to cover there. First of all, I just find all of the characters like borderline resentful, and I just <laughs> really like wanted their cars to flip over. And well, then a car does flip what over. Teenagers are like Kyle. Have you forgotten what you were like as a teenager? I mean, right. But I, I, I don't want to watch that. Like, I don't need to see that. And then I'm like, okay, I hope your fucking car flips over. And then a car does flip over, and yep. you're like, oh, thank God. And then they're totally fine. And I, I was know. Like, God I mean, damn it. That always makes me laugh. Cindy Williams just like slips right out of that car like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, I know. She's like, anyway, what do you guys want to do now? Like, it was just was, so annoying. She was holding and actually, Harrison Ford's dick. That's why, and it's that powerful that it kept her safe on that. <laughs> Probably, maybe. I mean, he was pretty sexy. But Candy Clark, though, being nominated for an Oscar, I am sorry. I am just going to say this. Like, I am genuinely shocked. So originally, Warner Brothers uh, did not want to back a lot of an Oscar campaign and put a lot of money into it because mm-hmm. they genuinely thought that this movie did not have a chance. Yeah. It was actually shelved, and then it got released and it was this huge success and it was a really big surprise so candy clark actually invested seventeen hundred dollars of her own money to take out an ad in the hollywood reporter and as well in i wrote this down in variety and she basically said you know that's kind of what got me the oscar nomination was the fact that i paid out of pocket and then she of course uh, refers to sally clark kirk uh sally kirkland and Mm -hmm. uh, melissa leo how they basically funded their own oscar campaign and um it's just to me i guess i'm kind of more impressed with her for like taking the initiative to do that but to be perfectly frank i did not find this performance remarkable at all and the fact that it was academy award nominated i kind of think is funny it's funny to me well i don't always need them to be remarkable though i kind of appreciate especially in the supporting categories i appreciate when they choose something where it's not like a role written as an award winner, but somebody just sort of nails it and makes their mark. Um, I appreciate when they do that, especially in roles. And we have that a lot in this category this year of like people in very small roles who are just like getting it exactly right and um, shining, despite the fact that they're not that integral to the overall experience of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I appreciate when that happens because I like a little thinking outside the box when it comes to how the Oscars appreciate actors instead of only giving it to people who do an accent or cry for two hours, you know? 
That is an interesting point. I do agree with that because I often sometimes do have that same process where I maybe don't understand why somebody gets nominated. And you're like, well, I guess an Oscar nomination doesn't always need to be like that Oscar type of role Mm -hmm. because it does sometimes seem like a little bit of a formula. And you're right. But at the same time, give it give give the nomination for something that like was remarkable, but just remarkable in a different way. This performance for me, it was just so blah. Like what it was, she's, she's just the girl. She's the, she's like, it's fine girl. Like she's just complacent <laughs> with everything. And it was like, okay, like she's cool with it. Like, I'll go to I, I, with you. I mean, she puts up with a lot in this movie, but I don't know. I, I don't find her complacent. I feel like, um, I feel like there's a willfulness on her part to like make the best of a situation that like she, she's not uh, flimsy to me. Um, and also, she is a bit crafty, you know, when she uh, gets him to buy the booze, you know, um, uh, where uh, she basically she kind of manipulates him, basically. But um, but yeah, she no, pays- I don't know. I think she's uh, I think she's a lot of fun. And I don't find a lot of people in this movie are a lot of fun, which is kind of why I find it a bit of a drag. So yeah. um, I just like the fact that she's there to be sunny and light, you know, and yet and makes herself memorable doing it. But yeah. Well, she um, I was watching this interview on YouTube with her and she basically said that she had gotten the part because she auditioned the first time literally dressed like a 1950s girl (laughs) and then didn't get it. And then um, she begged her agents to let uh, her audition again. And they were like, no, 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 like, that's not how auditions work. And she was like, no, please just like do. And she apparently was like harassing them. They're like, oh, my God, fine. And then she auditioned again and then she got it the second time. That's crazy. I think Real, that would that would never happen today right. but that's just really funny <laughs> yeah and it's it's only her second movie and then she had she's had an interesting career since she never became a star or anything um and certainly no. was never really in anything that would endanger her of being nominated for an oscar again but mm-hmm. you know she's in um the man who fell to earth by nicholas rogue which is a real cult classic she's in the remake of the blob which she's really good in um she actually was in a movie that we did on bgm too something about a the- soldier the movie that you're talking about, the man who fell to earth or fell from earth or whatever. Um, she actually tried that same sort of campaign of taking out an ad in variety and the Hollywood reporter. And then the people that were counting the ballots actually told her that she was super close to being nominated for that film. Really interesting. I I don't like her performance in that film, but I also, I love Nicholas rogue, but that's, um, that's a film that I, I've also never really um, warmed up to. I don't know. I find it a bit tiresome. I love that Ron Howard was used to be billed as Ronnie Howard. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he started Sorry. acting when he was a little kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if you're good, mm-hmm. we can talk about the next nominee just because I've said my piece about <laughs> this movie. All right. Who are you bitter about next, Kyle? I am really bitter. Actually, I love this actor, but like I'm a little, not like bitter, but I'm a bit like, what the fuck about this nomination as well. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Sylvia Sidney in Summer Wishes and Winter dreams so just for the record the next two movies that are in this year that were nominated i absolutely loved them but these two films i was bored to death however there were some moments that were fucking hilarious Mm -hmm. like that whole weird slow motion silent gay ballerina scene amazing yeah which is how i came out to my mom like it was just really (laughs) It was fucking weird. Yeah, it's also interesting because in the early 70s, we forget that like gay wasn't something that movies were really panicking about like they were 
10 years later, uh, once the AIDS crisis gets around, you know, right. like I think of the eighties as being really, really cruel in terms of the way gays are presented, but in the seventies, it's beginning to become a mainstream part of the culture. And then that's sort of ruined, you know? Um, if anybody listening to this does not know who Sylvia Sidney is, mm-hmm. she is Juno, the mm-hmm. caseworker from a little juice. Yeah, and the second how I first got to know her too. So yeah, it's that voice. Yeah. It's just, the second you hear that voice, you're like, it's Juno. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, you know, she's only like 61 when she does summer wishes, winter dreams, which is crazy. Cause she's looked oh, really? 90 years old for a very long time. Um, she- yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of actors that are kind of like that. Um, like in The Exorcist, the older priest, they actually aged him for that movie. Oh, Max von Sydow. Yeah, he's only like 41 when he makes that movie. Yeah, years later, I saw him in like a movie in like the 2000s. And I was like, wow, this guy's like really fucking old. I was no, like, how is he Swedish? So they're just like, they're gaunt people, you know, they don't, uh, and they're very pale and blonde. So he, that's how he aged. Um, yeah, um, and then Sylvia Sidney was in Mars Attacks after that. That was her last movie yes. before she died. And she oh, was um, a starlet in the 30s, of course. She was yes. very, very beautiful. And um, a great example of how good she was young is if you watch William Wyler's Dead End, uh, okay. which was nominated for Best Supporting Actress of 1937. So if you get around to that year, you're going to end up watching it. Um, okay. Not for her, though. Um, right. And yeah, Summer Wishes Winter Dreams is the only one that I had never seen before we did this. So I watched it uh, for this podcast because you were kind enough to finally find it for me. I've been searching it for years and I, you know, it's young people who bring these things to us. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and there's a reason it was so hard to get. Um, right. oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. And I think it actually has more to do with the fact that it's made by a distributor that went out of business years and years ago. Um, yeah. as I was saying about how there are all these seventies movies about older, younger generation, there's also a lot of movies in the seventies that are these like intimate chamber pieces, usually centered around a woman, She's usually mm-hmm. an upper middle class woman and it's usually about her facing her life, you know, like something's happened and she has to face the past and they offer, they offer these actresses this amazing opportunity to really go somewhere. And again, this is not the best example of them. Like I would much rather watch diary of a mad housewife or mm-hmm. an unmarried woman with Jill Clayburgh. Those are amazing movies. This movie okay. I found very erratic. Um, I, I couldn't piece everything together. I'm like, why is she a Park Avenue matron, but she owns a farm? Like, whose farm is that? I know. And why is her mother like fucking Joan Collins, but she's from a farm? Like, I couldn't put all this together. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, Joanne Woodward, the lead, like, she gave a great performance. She was nominated yeah. for an Academy Award for lead actress. And I, in, in just in terms of the performance, like, I fully get that i fully understand why she was nominated yeah. but sylvia sydney like i love your girl wherever you are uh but i gotta be honest with you like her character was a very honest like little quick sense of humor mm-hmm. sort of character mm-hmm. and i enjoy and i i certainly remember her from the movie but then when she died i was like oh, okay so like maybe she'll she's gonna be coming back in like this like artistic way yep. or something Only and once she has one flashback after that and she yeah. dies at the 20 minute mark of this 90 minute movie she dies very quickly so yeah she's basically nominated for two or three scenes there are a hell of a couple of scenes though i mean i would watch that one act play of the two of them fighting over lemon wedges at the uh at the uh, restaurant that they're sitting at and she yeah. does put this wonderful wonderful character together Um, it's, I mean, the significance of her nomination is, I think, is that it was her first role in a really 
noticeable film in a very long time. So right. you, you have the Academy basically honoring one of their veterans. I think that had a exactly. lot to do with her getting nominated. Yeah. Um, but it helps that she, I mean, she is wonderful. And again, I do appreciate that even though this person's on screen for like a flash of a second, that it's such a great flash of a second that it is um, cited uh, for an award. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy that. This is the seventies too. This is the, the decade when Beatrice Strait won for network and she's only in that movie. That's like the shortest Oscar winning performance on record. You know, I haven't seen that movie. Mm. I actually am waiting to watch that one. Oh, I know what I know. Great. I know it's with um, Faye Dunaway, but like I, I haven't seen it. I'm like waiting to watch that one, but you know, I mean, I think I'm, I fully agree with you that Sylvia Sidney was like a Hollywood vet. And I think that they saw her after not seeing her for a while. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was like a, a remarkable movie at the time, because at the time, um, summer wishes and winter dreams was one of the first movies where it was really like a character, mm-hmm. like real life kind of drama yeah. where it wasn't necessarily about like, I mean, I don't know, like something crazy dramatic, like happening. It was really more of like a character study about what's going on in her yeah, life. In the seventies, you have a lot of movies being made about observing people's behavior and mm-hmm. you can never go wrong with Joanne Woodward. You know, like she started out as sort of a movie princess. She won an Oscar for her um, three faces of Eve. And then, you know, when she talks about an interview, she's like, it was so exciting to win an Oscar when I was that young because I grew up on movie magazines, but it was after that she got interested in being a more, like a more complex actress. So you see mm-hmm. her giving these deeper, more disturbing performances as time goes on. But this one is nothing compared to what she does in um, Rachel Rachel, which is what she was nominated for five years before this. Um, oh. And I also don't know that I even buy her as Sylvia Sidney's daughter in this movie. Like there's just a lot of things that they, they put up in the air, but that don't quite land, you know, like that don't quite connect for me in this film. Yeah. But it is worth watching for the performances because you have these two women, you have Martin Balsam, who's also really great, a former Oscar winner as well. And they all do fantastic work. Um, it's just following the movie through its paces is, is a, a bit of a strange experience because next thing you know, we're doing World War II, um, uh, Memory Lane in Bastogne. And, you know, like it just the places this movie goes, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. It is really, really strange. And I thought that the relationship with the son and him being gay and then her like running into the hallway in mm-hmm. slow motion. Um, I thought a lot of that was like really unclear. I realized it was an artistic choice, but I didn't. I mean, OK, but anyway, but just specifically talking about Sylvia Sidney in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah, like it like she did exactly what the role required yeah. of her and she did a great job. Um, including like having a heart attack during an Ingmar Bergman movie that her, her daughter is so lost in her reverie that she doesn't notice her mom is like clutching her chest and falling to the floor next to her. (laughs) How deep do you sleep? How comfortable is that chair? Yeah, really. I, she, there are, there are many questions about this. (laughs) Um, but just Sylvia Sidney in this movie, um, I can understand maybe why she would be nominated over Candy Clark. I thought her Sylvia's was better. Mm-hmm. Um, but truly, uh, I really do feel like they were giving her this nomination after because she had never been nominated before. For I think sure. Because not- the thing to remember also about the voters for the Academy is that they're not movie lovers. They're they're movie people like they they work in the biz. And you often have, especially with the acting branch, in terms of who they nominate, you often have people voting like um, union members, basically voting for their own, voting for their own, like sort of veteran class. This is why Kathy Bates got nominated this year for um, 
Richard Jewell, even though that's one of her worst performances I've ever seen. And she's never bad. And I never saw that movie. It's not good. And she's awkward in it. And a lot, I I know that she got nominated because she's sort of like MVP among the actors branch. You know what I mean? Um, While in Sylvia Sidney's case, I think she's wonderful. And, you know, as you noted from the fact that like, you know, her from Beetlejuice, she doesn't have to be in a movie for very long. You always remember her, you know, she yes. has this really, really unmistakable presence. So I, I, I think it's a bit of both, which is that they are honoring their beloved veteran, but they're doing it because they also do like her in the film. It's not just because they're throwing it to her. You know, I think it's half and half. I agree. Yeah. And I personally just thought that if anybody in a supporting role should have been nominated, it should have been Martin Balsam between. The two. <laughs> yeah. Or her fat Between. daughter, Dory, or uh, Dory Brenner. Yeah, yeah, that they like mentioned that a lot. A lot actually, that was yeah, like, yeah. Okay, let's yeah. change this up. She was in For the Boys later on with uh, Bette Midler as well. She's a great, great actress. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, let's talk about our next nominee, okay. and this is the one that I am the most excited of to talk about because I have because so you're Satan. Because yeah. I am Satan. I am what the what's it Pazuzu? Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's talk about Linda Blair mm-hmm. in The Exorcist. So, first of all, this is directed by William Friedkin, who was uh, a very young, sort of hotshot director who had previously won, I think, a year or two before for The French Connection. And I listened to this really, really great um, podcast. And it's called Inside the Exorcist. And uh, if anybody is into movies and you like that movie, listen to it. It's like eight episodes long and it's like really creepy. And like, I love it because it basically kind of explains how the book was written and then how the movie was made. Oh, cool. But um, William Friedkin, uh, basically people were like, he's too young to have already won best director. And now he's up for it again. And this is in a category in a horror category, which, you know, the Academy always sees as like less than, and he basically, in my opinion, should have won the Oscar for best director. And I just think that they didn't, there was a lot of politics that were involved and he basically didn't have a shot at this. And neither did Linda Blair, uh, because of Mercedes, um, McCambridge, Mm -hmm. who, um, actually won a supporting actress Oscar in 1949 for all the Kings, um, men, but, um, Linda Blair in the exorcist. First of all, let me just preface it with this. Okay. The exorcist had such a profound impact on my life when I was a child. Cause my sister's a fucking bitch. And <laughs> I was like six years old. She's like, Oh, cause she's older than me. She's like almost 10 years older than me. Okay. And she's like, you know, it would be funny is if we watch the exorcist, I could not, I, I, I was raised Catholic. I was raised very religious. Yeah. So I thought it was real. Yeah. I remember, I literally had a panic attack. You think everything's real. Of course. I I literally had a panic attack watching the movie. It was one of the earliest panic attacks I can remember. I had to sleep at the end of my parents' bed for like a month. This this movie scared the shit out of me. And I remember I was uh, really fucking mad at my sister. Um, uh, And the fact that when people found out that it was Mercedes McCambridge who was doing the voice of the demon Mm -hmm. and people were like felt lied to, are you fucking kidding me? Do you really think that a little girl child would be able to create that kind? That's not even physically possible. How stupid are people? She still had to act the scenes. She still had to do all of that. She basically was lip syncing for her life. It was one of the best (laughs) lip sync performances I've seen in a very long time. And also like one of the most physically grueling roles played by anybody in that decade. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, 
that, that and her tied to the bed and all the crazy shit she had to endure weeks and weeks and weeks of it. I mean, she must have been a real trooper about it. Absolutely. And she still like she she injured her back in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just side note, um, like y- like late teenage, early 20s, Linda Blair looks so much like Amy Schumer. A lot. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, there's someone else you remind me of, too, but I can't think of uh, who it is. But yeah. Well, actually, kind of Madeline Kahn, like just a scotch, like the way she kind of put herself together. And young Carrie Fisher as well. When you see Carrie Fisher in like shampoo, she looks a lot oh. like her too. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you brought up Carrie Fisher because Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher were um, actually considered to be the <laughs> uh, Reagan and what was her name? Chris, I think. Uh, Chris uh, McNeil. Yeah, they go through a lot of people. They went through a lot of people because, you know, neither of these two are stars. Ellen Burstyn wasn't um, a top of the line star at the time she was cast. So they, they went through everybody and everyone said no, even though it was a big production made from a very, very popular book, which is yeah. uh, big news. But um, he wrote it for Shirley MacLaine because William Peter Blatty knew her he worked he wrote her films many years earlier so he that's why she's an actress that's why the character is an actress is because he wrote it with her in mind um and uh i don't know oh. why she turned it down i think that was around the time that she was off in china making documentaries or something um well i they offered it to audrey hepburn originally yeah and she, she said no because she wanted to film it in rome and they didn't want to go to rome she didn't want to leave her kids right. yeah which i mean it would have been great seeing audrey hepburn in this movie because she's so vulnerable you know to see her terrorized like this would be uh, so stylish um, and then Jane Fonda turned it down as well because she called it capitalist bullshit, which is hilarious. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so it's uh, I'm not surprised also that Debbie and Carrie were in the mix as well. Yeah, I uh, so Linda Blair won the Golden Globe mm-hmm. and um, there was a lot of drama with Mercedes McCambridge. Um, oh, also, side note, um, Mercedes McCambridge's son um, killed his entire family and himself. Ew, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all in the podcast. Honestly, check out Inside the Exorcist. It is like worth I, I used to whenever I would like drive um to gigs like in small towns, I would always like load up my phone with like a bunch of episodes and I would listen to it. And oh. one of the episodes Aren't I was like driving. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was driving Don't from like with this guy. No, it's I was coming out from London, I think. And there's this one like act out that they do and it's fucking terrifying. And I remember like, <laughs> remember I put on my high beams after like I was like so scared. Um, anyway, check that out. But um, Mercedes McCambridge insisted mm-hmm. um, to William Friedkin that she is not credited for the voice. She right. it was like this whole thing. And he was the one that was like, well, I think maybe. And then she said, no, I want the audience to believe that it's Linda Blair. And he's like, OK. But then the movie had such a profound impact right. that she later sued because then she wanted her name back on there. Yeah. And uh, there are so many records that she was the one that made it clear. There are witnesses yeah. there. Like and I. Well, of I course, I mean, that. she's an Oscar winner, and then she gets this gig where she has to uh, uh, smoke three packs uh, a day and, uh, you know, swear into a microphone for, you know, like, that's not an admirable uh, gig, right? So I'm not surprised right. that she didn't want to be credited because she thought it was just going to be this shitty little B-movie. But then, yeah, it, become, it was like the biggest hit of all time, I think, when it came out. It was really, really huge. So now when you watch it, her name is on the credits. But I did remember, I do recall being told that that was... Uh, restored later on yeah it was um the thing about that though is that because that came out then people felt lied to and it like fully hurt um linda blair's chances for winning and i really think that she did think that she would have 
won. She did win the Golden Globe. Mm-hmm. I feel kind of bad though because Linda Blair's career kind of just like not like tanked, but like near the end of the 70s and then like kind of into the 80s you know she went on to win like three razzie awards yeah, for worst she actress. became like a horror movie queen i don't think that that's because of mercedes mccambridge though i think that's partly no, <laughs> no. <laughs> i mean let's not put everything on that woman but um i think a lot of it has to do with how bad the exorcist 2 was and then um she didn't fight and i don't say this critically because an actor's career is not nearly as much in their control as we think it is but um she didn't really fight too hard against the typecasting that happened to her. And so, you know, it's yeah. a slippery slope. Once you fall down into that, then you're kind of stuck. Also, I love her in this movie and I particularly love how unstudied and how fresh she is. Like there's no sense of her acting. She just seems like a real kid, but I don't think she's like the strongest actress in the world either. So I'm also not surprised that she didn't end up becoming, you know, uh, I don't even know who to compare her to around the time, like Christy mm-hmm. McNichol or something like she's not quite as, um, skilled as that. Um, but yeah. I agree with you, but I mean, you know, I don't think that that should, you know, hurt somebody's chances to win. Cause you really do have to focus on like a singular sort of, Sorry, I just mean in terms of the rest of her career, but yeah, in this film, you can tell she's never really acted before and it, it adds to the charm and it particularly adds to the difference between, you know, because at the beginning she really is this sweet little kid and she's not like movie star beautiful either, which just makes her seem more real and makes her seem like a kid, you know, and she's adorable in those 70s clothes and she's silly and she wants a pony for her birthday and then next thing you know she's like swearing like a trucker and swinging men around by the collars so you know it's it's quite a range to cover and i think that um what really does sort of speak to the performance and like the voice and all that crap is that you know when this movie came out she received so many death threats from religious uh, people saying that she was glorifying Satan, yeah. that Warner Brothers actually hired a bodyguard for her six months um, after the movie had even come out because people were, like, I just think that when somebody has a performance that is that impactful and it means so much to somebody, even though it's all fake, like it's just a movie. Yeah. Um, I think Great that publicity that, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Warner Brothers was like, what else are you going to do? Come on, tell us. And like increasing, <laughs> you know, because it, it sells tickets like so great, you know. Jack Nicholson was supposed to play Father Karras, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, he almost did, but it obviously didn't happen. Well, he's about as convincingly Greek as uh, the guy who uh, plays him, who is actually um, Jason Miller, who is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, also a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, and uh, also the father of Jason Patrick, who is in The Lost Boys. Oh, really? I mm-hmm. did not know that. Yeah, Jason Patrick's real name is Jason Miller Jr., but he changed it to uh, avoid the comparisons. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. But he, um, I mean, you know, he's really, like, I I think that this is this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Everybody just knocked it out of the park. Um, I've never, I know that the most chilling scene from this movie is always the, like, crab walk down the stairs. It looks so silly. I, I think maybe it, I don't even as a kid I was like mm, this is, it looks like claymation or something. Was it's that really... was that version already out when you were a kid? Cuz that's that's the um extended version that has the crab walk. That's not in the original movie. I definitely saw that hmm. scene when I was younger. I don't remember how old I was yeah, because I yeah, I watched I watched uh I've watched this movie many many times um but 
uh, the the crab walk scene is always so terrifying. I I always thought it looked really funny. Well, that's why they, it was cut in the first place is because they found that it didn't quite look uh, good enough. And also, I think story wise, it didn't quite make enough sense that she's suddenly out of her room um, because yeah. she's tied up the rest of the time. So when they decided <laughs> to restore it, it really was just sort of a gimmick to uh, put the movie out in theaters again and draw people in by saying, you know, there's all these. And they also claim to have souped up that scene with uh, digital effects to make it look better than it had been that it, than it had looked in the seventies. But I don't know. I, I wasn't, I've never watched that version again since I saw it in the theater. Cause I just prefer the Ridge. Also, yeah. I, love, I love that movie, but I don't need it to be any longer than it is. Um, but one of my favorite performances literally of all time. And um, I just, yeah, I think that people that vote for these awards, sometimes they're just, they're silly they're stupid <laughs> well they i mean I, I, it never occurred to me actually that her being dubbed for half the performance got in the way of her being nominated because i i also think that like most of the acting we get from her is before she is possessed because after that it becomes sort of a you know and this is not this it is still acting but i mean it, it becomes sort of like a special effects frenzy of her like with the makeup and the you know but she does still have to embody that demonic character who is um, you know, uh, crafty and sarcastic and worldly in a way that a 12 year old girl is usually not, although maybe sometimes they are. Um, but this is one of the first examples that you really see of something like that, because now it's like when you're playing like an evil villain, everyone's just like throwing Oscar trophies at you. But sure, like, yeah, also, I, I mean, this movie is the first example of a lot of things. I don't even know that we heard the F word all that much in a movie before 1973, you know. Masturbating with a crucifix. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if we saw that the one. The only <laughs> part of that movie my dad remembers. <laughs> oh yeah, that that was apparently they had to really cut that scene. Apparently it was like originally very long, which well, you're like as it mm. is, it's very upsetting. You know, it's yeah. Very, but the oh, it is of course, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's so gross. Um, my mom watched that movie though, and she thought it was funny. And the reason why she watched it is because she heard them speaking Greek. So she's like, "Oh, what is this?" And um. I was like, mom, don't watch this movie. It's scary. Like, oh, this is the exorcist. And she just thought the whole thing was really silly. My mom is not really all that easy to scare. So, Oh, good. Yeah. I love that. Tough woman. Yeah. Love that. She also didn't watch it when she was six years old. I mean, it makes a difference. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair. This is, it, it does. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's talk about paper moon. Okay. So never saw this movie before. Oh, okay. I loved this movie. Yeah. I loved, loved, loved this movie. Yeah, it's um, really charming. I hadn't seen it since I was a teenager. So I was really, I had been meaning to rewatch it for a very long time. So you finally gave me like the excuse to put it at the top of the list. I love that. Um, Madeline Kahn in this movie, it's certainly a departure from Blazing Saddles. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of accent, because she basically always seems to play like a call girl yeah, or yeah. like a saloon whore or like a whore. And you're just like, wow, that's a really fun casting Hollywood thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess, you know, choices. But uh, she's so funny in this movie. My favorite is whenever she's like trying to get Tatum O'Neill like back in the car. And then she's like coming up the hill and that's then she's so trying to be all sweet. Yeah. <laughs> she falls. I mean, she's like, son of a like she is only in a third of this movie, right? Because it's like a three-act thing, and she's the second act as a Trixie Delight. Trixie um, Delight. And uh, I do. I think this might even be my favorite movie performance of hers. I mean, she was not in enough movies. She yeah. wasn't in too many of them, rarely got to be a lead in them, and then died way too young. I love, love, love Madeline Kahn with a passion. I read William Madison's biography of hers about her recently, and I actually cried oh. at the end when she died. 
Um, yeah, I know. Big, big fan of hers. So, um, and I love this movie because it does cover, I mean, she was so funny. She was really, really, really funny. And one of the things that made her funny was that she herself didn't find herself funny and she never understood why people did. Um, she was also <laughs> very beautiful and she had those beautiful, that beautiful body, you know, she was so curvy and whatever, which is why she often got cast in these really like charactery floozy types is because she was really sexy, but she could also do the humorous aspect of it as well. Yeah. But in paper moon, there's also this sense of misery to the character. We get to understand that, you know, she, she's kind you know, she's kind of a dumb little hoe, but she's also <laughs> struggling to survive and really unhappy. And, um, and that scene, I mean, I think a lot of the nomination is because of that monologue that she has that she gives to Tatum O'Neill, which is her basically saying, I know this isn't going to work out because nothing ever does, but can we just enjoy the moment while it lasts? And she does it so poignantly, you know, she doesn't overplay the sympathetic aspect of it. Um, yeah. And she's still funny. Uh, and I don't know. I just, I absolutely love her in this film. I, I, it was the one takeaway I had the first time I watched it as a kid was just how much I loved her in it. It is definitely like a brief but memorable mm. performance. The line whenever she talks about putting Trixie's big tits up front. Oh, so great. So that line she did not want to do. Right. And she, the director made her do it just once. And when she's kind of like, she kind of like looks really uncomfortable when she says it, that was the one take and they used it. And she hated it and she did not want to do it. She hated all of her film performances. She was very, very, very self-critical and didn't like looking at herself. And if you'll also notice, she is a lot thinner in her movies after Paper Moon because she was very upset at how fat she thought she looked in this movie as well. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I, only because I've been watching other stuff of hers recently did I even notice when I watched this one that she actually is a tiny bit plumper. Uh, than later on but you know these are always things that actors are way tougher on themselves about than other people necessarily are because you know in her case especially people just loved her i mean this is only her second movie uh after what's up doc and that was also by the same director peter bogdanovich and then after this she worked with him again on at long last love which was the big bomb that ruined his career forever while his paper moon is in that is is in his sweet spot he had like three major hits in a row all of them retro all of them set in like the past and sort of tributes to old movies as well because paper moon of course mm -hmm. takes place during the depression um mm -hmm. and uh yeah so he's sort of he's sort of the one who brought madeline Kahn into the movies as did polly platt who was his wife and who worked on all of his films and um Karina Longworth just finished uh, a season of that brilliant podcast. You must remember this talking about Polly Platt, which I recommend everyone to listen to. I love that podcast. Yeah. I love one of my favorite lines that she kept talking about is when she talks about her beauty in terms of bone structure. Bone structure. She, she needs to get bone structure. Yeah. You need to get some bone structure. And I'm like, it just, she was just such a cute, fun, like little character. And then she would have like little funny moments. Yeah. And I just really, really loved her in this movie. And I really like Madeline Kahn. And, um, oh, I mean, how can you I don't know, know like, kind of sane person would not love? I mean, she was just magnificent. I went to a movie that she was in at TIFF in 1999 that I knew she had a small part in just because I was hoping she would be there. And then she died two months later because no, she didn't tell anyone she was sick. So that's why I didn't know why she wasn't there when I saw her. Like, I just um, adore her. And the character in Paper Moon is the kind of thing that 
on paper could read like a like a parody of like a Tennessee Williams character, especially things like talking about bone structure. Um, yeah, right. But she does it like a real person. You know, she's silly and funny, but there is a humanity there that breaks your heart. She really breaks my heart in that movie. No, I, I can kind of, I can kind of see that. I don't know if she, I don't know if I had that same sort of response. I, I just found her to just be, to be honest with you, just kind of more uh, entertaining. I, I found her to be more funny. I, I don't know if I really kind of got that sort of um, that from her performance, but I know I can, I can understand like why you would say that, but like um, watching it, I felt like she was just more of an opportunist and she uh, was a, like a survivor yeah. because you know you, during the depression, of course. And, um, and the I depression just thought she something that that character. movie really describes not, I don't know about accurately. I wasn't there, but it feels very, very real. And it's also what makes her character so memorable is that you have like all this flat dry land and all these homely women in their kitchen dresses <laughs> and bad hair answering the door being conned out of, their money for these stupid Bibles by Ryan O'Neill. And then this like circus performer shows up out of nowhere, you know, and she's like pretty with her hair and her dresses and everything. And I just love that, that aspect of the story as well. I love that. She's just there. hundred percent. Um, it, it, it was a brief, but memorable performance. Mm -hmm. So let us now talk about the winner. Tatum O'Neill, Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon. So I can't tell you how many times I have seen Charles Bronson and Jill Ireland, uh, like the video on YouTube where um, they're presenting the award mm -hmm. and like Charles Bronson's like, Linda Blair in the exorcist. <laughs> and then Jill Ireland is like, Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon. And like just the way that they speak, I. I have watched I have watched that telecast. It's like this kind of inside joke with my friend where we literally I literally like if like we're I don't know, like getting high, like we're like smoking weed or something and we're just like talking just out of nowhere. I'll just be like Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon and like all of my friends, they it's like this thing with my friends where like we'll randomly just be like Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon. Like it's this and thing. Candy Clark that they actually go to the wrong actress when they say her name. They don't go to her. I I, was that her? I, I, it's her in the I square. You know, at the end when they're about to open the envelope and you see the five squares, she's yeah. in, that's her in the square. But when they first say her name and cut to the audience, it's not her. It's somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. First of one all. One moment and you lose it. That's also a tough, I hate watching the Oscars from that era because that's when they really like all the garish lighting so that the TV cameras would pick you up. And it's before they started hiring seat fillers. So people are always sitting in these like half empty audit in this half empty auditorium. And it just yeah. looks like a really bad, like truckers convention late at night, you know, when everyone's gone home, it's terrible. <laughs> and a lot of uh, back in the day at the Oscars, like in the fifties and the sixties, uh, if you go through like IMDb and you like read like who won what, mm. it's, there's always a little thing like so and so was not present at the award ceremony, and so and so had to accept it on their behalf. And like most of these stars were like, oh, I'm on Broadway, I'm working, or oh, I'm on location. Yeah, because it wasn't a lot like of a deal back then, right? It, this, I mean, this is not back. What this is in the days before the designer gave you a free dress to wear for you to show up, and you know, and you didn't right. get the giant. Um, Oscar uh, gift basket and all that stuff. It was a different game back then. Um, so Tatum O'Neill uh, is the youngest winner mm -hmm. to um, have an Oscar. And um, Oscar, yeah. to be perfectly... Oh yeah, well, of course. But to be perfectly honest with 
<laughs> you. Um, Tatum O'Neill is great in this movie. I can obviously see why she won. She is definitely a lead. She, she is, is not a supporting a lead. Player. And this is why this category causes me any kind of stress or uh, friction is because it's category fraud. She is in every scene yes. of this movie. She is what the movie's about. The original title yes. of the movie was Addie Prey, which is the name of the book that oh, it's God. based on. Which Addie is her, Prey Love. Yeah, which is her name. Which is her name. Um, and the only reason why she's in the supporting actress category is because she is nine years old. And this happens a lot in the Academy Awards, that leading performances by kids are nominated for supporting simply because of their age, which they kind of rectified, I guess, when they nominated oh, that four-year-old yeah. for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, Wallet, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, and also the girl from Whale Rider as well, Keisha Castle Hughes. Um Yeah, I've never seen that. Oh, it's a lovely movie. She's she's so wonderful in it. Um mm. but uh, you know, Tatum is wonderful. Uh but for her leading performance to be up against a supporting performance <laughs> in the same movie it's not fair. It feels very, yeah. very unfair. Um yeah. I actually really like her in this movie. There were there was a lot of unfair criticism that came out after or around the time that she was nominated or after she won about how, you know, he had to do like 45 takes with her for every single scene. Well, okay. But, um, yeah, she was like eight. <laughs> that and also like every, if you really want to dig deep into it, every performance is the result of what the director does and how they choose the shots they assemble together. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't want to get too much into the weeds of that because if you honestly think that every great performance you love is the result of someone just like naturally showing up and being brilliant without right. any manipulation of any kind, right? you know, that's a joke. So it is, it's sort of unfair to hold that against her. She'd also never really, I don't think she'd ever been in a movie before. I think it was actually Polly Platt's idea to put her in the movie because they'd cast Ryan O'Neill and they noticed that his kid had something and then also does look like him a bit. So that aspect of the story would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, go on. But, but just like, um, I mean, of course, obviously that had you like a million takes for that one scene where it was like they were in the car. But the thing about, um, any sort of child actor that if they give a remarkable performance at the end of the day, I mean, all takes aside, listen, like I have like 14,000 nephews and nieces Mm -hmm. because of my sister is like a rabbit Mm -hmm. and um, she's not coming off well in this episode. I got to tell you, I literally, she's apparently a real like, she's a child. She like she like held me down like Ella. What's that movie where it's like Clockwork Orange where they like keep their eyes open and she like right. made me watch the yeah. Um, I well whatever. I I it's funny. I just released a taping or I just had a taping released on CBC Gem and I talk about my sister a lot. So <laughs> she uh, is a source of a lot of material for me. Yeah. But no, um, if and I, you know uh, one of them is eight. I could never, ever, ever see my eight-year-old nephew being able to do that. Being able to, to, to get, first of all, give a performance, mm-hmm. but second of all, to be able to do it 40 times, yeah. like, it's very impressive. Well, yes. I mean, yes and no, only because sometimes I get annoyed with people being overwhelmed by how good kids are. And it's like, kids being spontaneous and guileless and uh, natural is the most normal thing in the world because they're still at an age where playing pretend comes so naturally to them and it's not something that they're really self-conscious about because they haven't been ruined by um you know social self-conscious awareness it's more Mm -hmm. amazing when adults can convince me that they are playing pretend effectively however film acting is also a physical uh, skill that requires you to know how to stand in front of a camera how to point your head how to you know how, how to um 
just how to physically be in front of a camera, which is mm-hmm. uh, not easy. And, you know, if it took 40 takes to get her to do it right because she had never done it before, then that's just what it takes. But the actual, like, spunk with which she delivers her lines, you know, because she's a very, very funny character. And mm-hmm. the, it requires her to basically be the brain of a 45-year-old woman stuck in an 8-year-old's body. And she yeah. fully convinces me that she is as clever as she's being in the film. And it does come off very natural and spontaneous. You know, she doesn't, I never feel like the movie's manipulating me to find her cute. I agree with you. The only criticism that I will give of her performance, and I can obviously understand why it didn't really go that well, because they're trying to make it seem like really gritty. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But she didn't really seem too bummed out that her mom died. Uh, true. Yeah. But uh, that's also why the character is so funny to me is that she's basically a gangster who's a little girl. Uh, but if you think about what well, was that more because she couldn't really do that at that time emotionally as a child. And so they had to kind of like work around that. No, that's I, a decision about the character. I mean, it, it has a lot to do with the culture that she comes from as well. You're talking about a time when children were orphaned very frequently and life yeah. was very hard. And it's a time before people knew that they deserved to be happy. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I have relatives from, from that time period and, and they don't, when they tell me about the hard times they go through, they don't, they don't bust out a violin about it. You know, that's, just um it's just how people how people were yeah yeah well i I was hoping when i was watching this movie that it wasn't going to end a la you know bonnie and clyde where they're just going to get like (laughs) shot up with like a thousand guns and i was like oh where's this going but i feel um, bad for her aunt at the end though because this child disappears and like is she gonna spend months (laughs) wondering what happened to her Yeah. Oh, that's what I love is there's this episode of The Simpsons where um, Bart and Homer become like con artists and they try to sell Ned Flanders a Bible that uh, Maude had, you know, paid for and it was inscribed. And Ned's like, wait a minute, this is an awful like that movie, Paper Moon. And then they like freak out and they like hide in the treehouse. And I never understood that. I never, I was like, what? And watching this movie, I died. I was like, oh, now I get it. That's a Polly Platt connection too, because she she worked with Jim Brooks and is possibly the reason why he decided to do The Simpsons, so. Wow, oh, wow, okay. Um, But I mean, yeah, like she... Like, she's, like, this, like, spunky, like, little fun con artist girl. Like, I loved her in this movie. Yeah. I loved her performance. I, especially, again, I know that you don't like this, but for a child, I find it remarkable. And, it's not that uh, I don't like it. I just find that people aren't necessarily uh, gauging the skill level correctly when they say, oh, isn't it amazing how natural that child is? And it's like, kids are actually natural. It's adults that need to break through their sort of limitations and shell to be convincingly natural as actors, you know? But then memorizing the lines, Oh, though. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no doubt that, uh, you know, there's no doubt that she did so much better than a lot of other children would do. I also love the fact that she's so convincingly, like, a spunky little tomboy, as we used to call them back in the day, to the point that when he puts a cute little dress on her, she looks like she's faking it. Like, she doesn't look like a cute little girl in a dress, and you know, holding that lollipop. She looks like she's in disguise. Um, she whenever she had to smoke those cigarettes, yeah. it was actually full of lettuce. Was it okay? That's yeah, funny. and yeah. it used to make her just so nauseous, and she used to hate yeah. when they'd have to like read. Well, you the can scene. kind of tell. Like, I mean, it's kind of sweet, but there's a couple moments in the movie where you can tell that she's like holding it together for as long as the shot lasts, and the smoking yeah. is usually it. You can see her sort of like deciding to do it. You know. 
One thing I found frustrating, I don't know if this was sort of like a wink to the audience because Ryan O'Neill was obviously her father, but like, is the character like her father? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. You could say yes, but maybe not. I mean, the implication is that her mom got around or that she survived by getting around, uh, right. which is more likely the case because he is a traveling Bible salesman con artist. So he definitely has like his own floozies in every town that he goes to. Um, so it's likely, but I don't think it's something that you could ever, you know, this is not days of paternity tests or anything like that. So you could never, uh, find out. I hate that stuff. I hate when movies do that, where it's just this little wink to the audience. It's like, oh, it's you up to, to your know, own interpretation. You need to go to bed, like, with all the answers. Well, that's not yeah, life, I Kyle. Do. I know. That's why I watch movies, because yeah. it's not life. It's like all fake. Touche. Um, the, only, the, only, the only thing that, like, pains me when I watch this movie is just to watch Tatum O'Neill, because she is so sweet, and she has such promise, and she won an Oscar. And then she ended up becoming basically, like, the textbook, the textbook example of, like, 70s and 80s child stars and their sad lives you know except for the fact that a lot of them died of overdoses when they were like 18 and she didn't but she certainly gave it the old college try you know like she had a really really rough time of it and yeah neither of her parents were with her the night that she won which is very indicative of something i mean her father like smacked her in the face while they were shooting because he was mad at her because everyone was loving her performance like yeah. That's all we need to know about that, that, that charming film. And then as she got older, because I watched the like E true Hollywood story of Tatum O'Neill. Mm. And basically she was like, her friends were like commenting and they were like, yeah, like as she was like getting into her like later teens, she was like clubbing and partying yeah. a lot, which back then, and there's like all these pictures with her with like Cher, and you're like, okay. And then apparently, like Ryan O'Neill used to like treat his daughter not just as like an accessory but apparently like it came off as really like incestuous almost like she was his date yeah probably and also because his star is on the decline by the late 80s exactly. by the late 70s early 80s and she was in that movie um little darlings is that the one she was in or foxes so she was kind of like a teen hit bears. and the bad news bears as well so yeah. it makes perfect sense that he would basically turn his daughter into his calling card uh, but then things went south for her quickly after that, other than the fact that she married John McEnroe, um, which yeah. also didn't didn't go very well. And then by the time Farrah Fawcett died, he hit on Tatum at the funeral because he didn't recognize her. Oh, yeah. I yeah, like just like really fucked up. And like um, that's why I mean, as a as an artist myself, it's like I would never have children, not because I'm going to hit on my kids at a funeral. But I mean, like, because we'll never say never, Kyle. Like, no, I'm just saying, like, well, I mean, Daniel and I are trying. Uh, but no, like, I'm not going to – I feel like a lot of artistic people – what was it that Catherine Hepburn said where she's just like, anybody who has children, <laughs> shouldn't be actors or something, whatever. I don't know. But, like, it was just she, – she basically was saying, like, it's such a narcissistic, selfish kind of job right. that, like, maybe you shouldn't have kids. Well, and, yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who've done – well enough at it but obviously i mean i don't think ryan o'neill had a daughter because he decided to have kids i think he had sex and got someone pregnant you know what i mean oh they were so, all yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. um and this For i mean sure. the, we could do an entire podcast episode about stories we know about him you know like he was a real he was a real classic 70s movie star basically um but uh you know and i'm glad to see tatum o'neill did get it together as an adult and she's living her best life now and you see her on uh, her episode of sex in the city and you're like you know, didn't grow up to be the world's greatest actress, but I'm just happy to see her looking well, you know. 
If I was, you know, if I was like, uh, like an actor or something like that, I would love like to go out like Tatum O'Neill, Anna Paquin sort of style <laughs> where it's like, you just kind of like, you just close, you drop the mic at like nine. <laughs> you peak early. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just are like, all right, now yeah. I can fucking do, because no matter how old you are, you can be like, did you know that I won an Oscar at nine? <laughs> like, wow. And you're like, yeah, yeah. so fuck you. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go ahead and reveal who we think that the Oscars should have gone to right. for Best Supporting Actress in the ceremony year of 1971. Right. So, uh, Bill, if you will do the honors. Uh, I think the Oscar should have gone to... Madeline Kahn in Paper Moon. Yay. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by either of our choices on today's episode. Um, (laughs) Also, because if I was doing it, I would have put Tatum in the best actress category so that they would not even be competing against each other. Because, again, I think it's just ridiculous that the two of them were were in the same category. Because, as I was saying about how much I love it when a performance in a small but poignant role gets recognized, Madeline Kahn's performance in this movie is the best example of that. It's not as short a performance as the, um, the first two that we talked about. It's actually in my mind, lengthy enough for a Best Supporting Actress uh, nomination, and is the perfect example of someone who comes into a movie that is not about her, that is not relying on her in any way, and she gives you something to take home. You know, she gives you something memorable, something that I, uh, again, like had an emotional element for me, but also very funny, very colorful, also very um, indicative of the time that it takes place in, like that whole setup of her being basically like a circus performer who has that 12-year-old maid that she's so terrible to and who doesn't give a yeah. shit about anything and is so funny. Yeah. Um, just <laughs> that char- that whole character is so beautifully constructed and Madeline Kahn takes it and gives it everything and more. And I just absolutely love her. And I also would have loved it if she had died with an Oscar. And had she not died so young, uh, I yeah. think eventually it would have happened. I agree. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and reveal. I mean, I don't really think it's going to be much of a surprise. Nope. Uh, who I think. All. So um, I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Linda Blair for The Exorcist. So every single time that I see this movie, it's not just like because of the fact that I grew up with it and it had such an impact on my life growing up and everything like that. But it's also the fact that I compare most horror movies and horror movie performances and like how they tell the story of the characters in a horror movie. I always compare it back to this movie. And I realize that's not necessarily her performance, but she is at the center of the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Without her, the movie doesn't work. And yes, there are a lot of visual effects. Yes, there's a lot of like crazy things that are reliant on that, but that has nothing to do with her like lip syncing for her life as (laughs) um, Cambridge there. And And having to burn up that green stuff. No, exactly. Oh, oh, uh, it's called Ander Anderson's pea soup. Okay. No, I wrote it down. She used to sign the soup cans. Anderson's brand pea soup. That's what it's called. And they actually tried Campbell's, and they didn't like the consistency and the color. Anyway, she used to say she used to literally sign cans of soup. That to me is the weirdest, most specific oh, thing and notoriety about your own fame. Yeah. But that was based on her performance. This movie. 
it garnered death threats. I think that when you give a performance that's that convincing, uh, <laughs> I think that that is remarkable. And again, she was like 12 yep. and she was doing some and saying some like really fucked up things. And she did it very well for a 12 year old child. So, well, I mean, Linda she won, I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't think it was a travesty. Like, I think she is very good and it is interesting in this category that it comes down to choosing between two child actors in a category that also has this old veteran in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Like you do require you you do need to fall in love with Reagan at the beginning of the movie and really believe her as a little girl because I love that movie so much and I have seen it also a zillion times to the point that it, I don't remember the last time it actually scared me. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, and I, was, I didn't see it for the first time until I was an adult. So uh, thankfully, I never had the clearly scarring and traumatic experience that you did. But um <laughs> Thanks, my sister. But uh, that movie does get very ridiculous by the end. You know, like I would be interested to see a movie where a demon possession looks the way, not that I believe in this sort of thing, but the way that kind of thing looks like in real life, which is the Mm -hmm. screaming and the whatever, but not actually like a Freddy Krueger mask on your face. And somehow your head can spin all the way around. But for some reason, when the demon leaves you, you're okay again. Like a lot of... Stuff that you yeah. you really have to take with a grain of salt and just let it happen because the movie is so enjoyable that I'm not going to complain yeah. about the fact that it makes sense. But how is the how is it that this thing manages to scar her entire body and then at the end of the movie she's got like a little bruise on her cheek and that's it? Oh like, no, it's like a paper cut right. and she's like, ow. But a lot she's of what like... carries you through that is the fact that you do you do know Linda like that Reagan so well as a kid because of how like fresh and unassuming like it's it's a very unpretentious performance uh, and the movie would have been entirely sunk if it wasn't for the fact uh if if she had been more um obnoxious you know as a child actor i agree okay great well that ends another episode and um bill antonio thank you so much for being my guest again and i have such a wonderful time talking to you of course and everybody have like obviously everybody have uh, a listen to bad gay movies um co-hosted also with uh daniel krolik who has also been a guest on this podcast yes. more than once and you can also check out um bill's movie reviews at my old addiction is it like on uh, instagram if you want? i'm sorry or it's uh, it's like a website like my old addiction.com right, yeah my old addiction.com uh so bill thank you so much and we will see you next time see you later me.